welcome to episode 499 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Team, welcome along to episode 499 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm good, and you? Well, I'm really good too. Good. Do you know why? Because you're a window trainer. Yeah, I have to admit today. He I is am. a window trainer. I am, I'm not denying it. Looks out the window, oh, it's raining. But not John, going training. In fairness, I'm going to train, yeah. but when you have the luxury of choosing your day, you can work your day around the weather, can't you? You can. And it's foolish not to. That's recommended. See? Yeah. So am I a window trainer or am I a wise trainer? I would like to go with the second myself. I'll see. As long as you clock the same miles this afternoon that you had planned. Yep. Yeah, I am. I'm going to clock the same miles, John. Gotcha. Is it meant to clear later in the day? Possibly. Don't want to talk about the weather, John, but where's our city gone? My yeah. views disappeared. Not happy. We've got a, uh, my, one of my missions for this year is to Here talk about the weather less on this bloody podcast. People love it, John. No, Every week don't. I get emails. I oh, it. what's happening in Christchurch today? Because they want to know what's happening on the days the show's not on. Yeah. Seriously, people love Christchurch weather. Uh, <laughs> I am uh, talking as proudly brought to you by Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your active buffer. And our patrons. Well, Good name for you, John. Let's name for you. You go first. Brett the Rainbow Man Summit. Jack. Custo. What's that? Because he uh, sent it to you a picture and he had like a, a, diving, a diving outfit on and he looked funny and it was like Jacques Cousteau, the underwater oh, explorer. Oh, okay. 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 Thought goes into mind, Bevan. Yeah. Lots of thought. I don't think you spelled the name right, but in fairness to yeah, me. <laughs> That's why you had to come, <laughs> come through there. Colin, hungry like a wolf, Durant. That is gold. Hungry like the wolf, Michael Dooley, uh, Dig It Dooley, yeah. that's a good one. And Adam the King Turner. Uh, how did he get the king? That's a good one, he's the king. Yeah. It was all of us. Okay guys, in this week's show we've got some news, uh, we've got a discussion of the week, we've got an interview John with Caroline who? Caroline Livesey. We're not quite sure if it's Livesey, Livesey. Yep, she, but she is a, was an age group athlete and is racing pro but very much still working and we're going to find out how she gets that balance right. Yeah, we've got a, a new segment I, I saw in the show notes. We discussed it last week, my first try. I can't remember my first try. This is the downfall. Oh, I haven't got the your segment on there. Oh, okay. this, for, this, for this week, I thought I'll go this week, you go next week. And what I've done is on our website, we'll talk about it later on, there's a little section you can go on there and you can fill out a little form about my first try and uh, try to tell us a funny story. I'd be in that Timaru Half, where I, the Timaru Olympic, where I ran 32. Yes, yeah, yeah that good old GPS days when GPS accuracy no, was high. Was accurate, John. It was accurate. Uh, yeah, I really can't remember. I remember I did do one try. Because my theory... Save my first, it for next week. No, because I'm just mulling. I remember okay. my... Because this isn't my first. I remember Iron Man was kind of tickling off my first. Mm-hmm. But I had done one before that. Mm-hmm. But... Oh, I have to think a week about this one, John. Yeah. We've also got uh, a new, another new segment. Two new segments. <laughs> We're starting off this year strong. It's it's all about us. I know. Yeah, John and Bevan's training. Because people keep asking me, what are you doing with your training? So I figured... Well, Announce it now. What we're doing sort of weekly. Bevan can tell us about his run training or lack of. I did a slight injury this week. So. Yeah. That's okay. Uh, question and answer time at the end. We've got some patrons. Have we got, there are no patrons this week. No new patrons this week. Come on, people. I you want to get to Kona? last week. I know. Oh, no one's listened to the <laughs> there recommendation. There you go. 
All right, Brussels sprout. Okay, guys, uh, let's get into it. News. Uh, Challenge Wanaka's coming up in... You know the big news of Challenge Wanaka? Probably more important than this, John. Fever's commentating. No, I'm not. Oh, dear. I'm not this year. Um, Unfortunately, my mum... Well, not unfortunately. My mum bought a whole family tickets to Cirque du Soleil. You know? Cool. Coming to Christchurch, the big event. And uh, and then Victoria emailed me through and said, can you do the challenge work? And I was like, yep. And then I looked at my calendar and I was like, oh, I can't really pull out of the family thing. Oh, so unfortunately, I'm not going to be there this year, but it doesn't matter because it'll be an amazing race. And the Victor got a pretty strong field this year. We got it's, it sounds like they got record numbers, sixteen hundred athletes. So that's spread over a lot of events. It's uh, the half, the full um, teams. teams racing and stuff. So in terms of the actual full challenge individual race, uh, they don't usually have massive numbers, but enough to make it uh, all good times. But yeah, no, it's going to be a really interesting race, and we'll probably talk about it a bit more closer to the race. But you got a pro field because traditionally Wanaka, you can't have you know one kick-ass guy. Mm. And then a couple of guys who, if they have great days, could maybe get there. And then there's kind of a teeters off from there. Yeah. Whereas this year, when we look at the guys. You've got lots of dynamics. So you have yeah. Dylan McNeese smoking it off the front in the swim and trying to do a solo TT all and day. And knows how to win a race. Mm-hmm. Dylan Dougal Allen, who set a bike course record, can't swim to save himself. At least the results show that he, he can't. But very strong on the bike. And steady. he was actually a better runner than what he's demonstrated. And he's another Kiwi. But then you've got Joe Skipper, who yeah. we've interviewed before. And he's just an axe on the bike and was he 11th in Kona maybe he was somewhere somewhere close to the top 10 so you know bloody strong athlete and then also Mike Twelsick who has also been around about 10th 11th in Kona before and also won Ironman races so those two could be absolutely lighting it up on the bike and I think Dylan McNeese is going to have his work cut out for him to um, to to defend his title and keep the the winning streak also going got, down um, there. Pierre, Pierre Bittner, yeah, um, and Matt Russell as well, who's uh, you know good good steady steady athletes. So um, you got you know six guys there, all that have the capacity to win the race. Um, but yeah, when you got guys who are top fifteen in Kona, um, you know heading down there, it's, it's all good. So I think the guys' side of things is looking great, uh, and then. It's obviously not got to 13th. 13th. I knew yeah. it was somewhere just outside yeah. the top 10. And then on the girls' side of things, uh, also got a, could be a really interesting race because you've got G- Gina, um, who's the you know the perennial favourite down there. Laura Siddle, who's another strong athlete out of Great Britain. Simone Mayer, who usually races pretty well down there and oh. is getting a bit better each year. And then the, the surprise that I didn't see coming was uh, Yvonne Van Vlerken. And she can rip it up wherever she goes, and she'll love that course because she's such a happy racer. Yeah, she and really And she'll is. just be in her environment out. And, and she's a hard racer too, and it's a hard mm, course. Mm. You know, like it's a good challenge, challenge Wanaka, isn't it? It is a good challenge. Sorry, pun. But so, it, but you know what I mean. Like it is. It's a it's an honest race. Yeah, and those guys will all be spread out all over the place, so it really is. You know, um, head to head TTing rather than you know sitting in the pack and and getting a good. Uh, the other thing is, you know, run. Gina did a, a blog post over over the Christmas period, kind of saying that times are changing. Um, chasing that higher level Ironman world is probably becoming less appealing for her. So mm. it'll be interesting to see if that's coming through in her results. You know, like does she still have that last ten percent that makes the difference in the race, mm-hmm. um, or will she now? You know, does she lose that? And if so, what's the cost of that to mm. her performance? So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, so uh, that's really the main race that's coming up. It's on February the 20th. That was a 10-year anniversary. Uh, what year are we in now? Um, no, I think it's... Uh, no, I think next year's 10-year anniversary because I did the first one. I, I think the press release said uh, Challenge Monica 10-year anniversary. 
Yeah, so Challenge Wanaka announced his world-class field for the 10-year anniversary. Top international field, but yep, there you go. So it started 10 years ago. 2007. 10 years ago, John got a $4,000 payout, didn't you? It was at least that. It was, uh, yeah, <laughs> best, best payout I've ever had. Yeah. It was great. You, know, you, you saw that one coming a mile away, didn't you? I did. John goes to me, I'm going to do Wanaka. I go, what is that? Because going to get some money. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get some money. Yeah, you're going to make me some money, boy. That's probably my best ever uh, iron distance race that I've done. Remember, you snobbed Linda going with the finish line? I did, yeah. yeah she reminds me of that regularly. <laughs> In <laughs> your highest moment, you forgot me. We'll talk about that on uh, on Sponsor with Athlinks as well, because we've got uh, something coming up on that as well. Oh, okay, good work. Good work. Okay, other news. Uh, Iron Man Mosquito. Mesquite, well, good pronunciation. Actually, actually Muskoka. Muskoka, okay. Muskoka. Uh, no longer. Yeah. One, one and done. One and done. Why? They lost huge amounts of money, apparently, which I found find baffling. It sounded like they had around about 1,500 athletes. Just for Ironman, so you, you know, good entry good. fees. And they lost like $100,000 or something. I saw a little little article on some Canadian website. Madness, how do you lose that much money when you've got that many athletes paying, I don't know, 750 850 bucks seems crazy where is all that money disappearing well it's interesting so maybe is is it a really fascinating insight into the race into Mm. ironman races like obviously you know we know that they make money elsewhere Mm. and often local regions kind of prop up races and a lot of the costs of the race will probably come from sponsorship and local councils Mm. and things like that um but if you're pulling off if you can't make profit on a race like that crazy but that's interesting because i'm in new zealand it gets about that many yes yeah so, so maybe it doesn't make hardly any money. Who knows? Maybe, maybe operating races in America is significantly more expensive. Yeah, so much money must be tied up in, in WTC administration and stuff now, you know, in terms of the size of their staff to be putting on events but if anything, worldwide. you think they would streamline things. And make it efficient. Yeah, but, you know, if they, they're kind of the lean company thing where it's kind of like, you know, more efficient with less people. Mm. Like, so you're saying they'll get about $750 an entry fees ballpark might be know, more than 1. that 1. now 1.2 mil yeah you know so you're kind of thinking you can't put a race that really maybe there's not much profit John is it losing money or is it just not making much profit the article I read said the local people had to pump in another $100,000 or something to make it sustainable it wasn't going to happen so crazy times and so is there another race going to be well they still have 70.3 and stuff there and there's obviously athletes can transfer there's plenty of iron distance races on um around that time of the year but the thing with the muskoka one was it was another it was a challenging course really really up and down um all day and that puts people off puts off the masses doesn't put off the hardcore but it puts off the masses so a real shame which is a kind of a, a dent on our sport, really, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, when when suddenly our sport, which is kind of always about the person who left the challenge, mm. can't sell races because the course is too hard. Like, I'm sure it's not extremely hard. It's no Norseman. No. Sometimes up and down courses are harder than the ones with the big climbs. I just think it's sad that you can get 1,500 athletes and it still can't make money. Or it can't at least break even. It just seems crazy to me. I, I don't think it's... It shows how much it must cost to put on an Ironman race, but, mm. you know, because well, if they're getting 1.2 mil in entry fees mm. uh, and they're losing money, it's pretty interesting. Mm. John, that's interesting. That's interesting. We haven't done that one in a while, have we? No. That's incredible. We used to yeah. do it all the time, didn't we? Yeah, with Kathy Lee Turner yeah. and 
John Maybe. Davis. And then the guy I couldn't remember. Yeah, we never could remember. <laughs> we still can't. <laughs> okay. Um, Not much other racing coming up, really, but I'm really going to be intrigued to see what happens to this Bahrain 70.3 because it's coming up in a couple of weeks. It's on the, I think the 29th, and still, I haven't been able to find a start list. There's no start list on WTC website. The entries have closed. One thing I will say is they've got a lot of age groupers racing there. You know, this is a new region for them. I think there's probably very few athletes in the Middle East that actually do the sport of course you have the, the expat communities that are very active out there in Dubai and Bahrain and all those places but uh, when I had a look at the start list it looked like they'd have you know, a good 800 or so for a 70.3 um, which was pretty good time. probably won't make money in that neck of the woods I don't think that's too much of a concern so but as we said last week this is round one of the triple crown so wait it's t- is it next week? 29th so Sunday week or Saturday week mm. so I would say that we'll see a lot of the, the Bahrain 13. Race. Oh, maybe the 30th, then it's that weekend. Uh, I think we'll see a lot of the Bahrain 13 team. I'm not sure, sure if they're still called the Bahrain 13 yeah, team. No, they, they, they added a, a, another athlete. They had Laura, Laura, Laura Goss, I think, um, added to their roster, and I think maybe Freddie Cronenberg. And yes, I'm not sure if it's still 13, but I would expect you to see a lot of them racing, and then we'll see um, a number of uh, down under athletes, guys like. Um, uh, Maybe some 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 of the Aussies, Tim Reed, Joe Gambles, people like that, maybe heading over and trying to get on the the Triple Crown bandwagon to see if they can make it happen. It was serious. I think taking taking out the seventy point three World Championships makes it probably quite a bit more appealable to a number of guys because that would be a really hard race to win when you're going to have probably have Fredino, um, Keenlay. You mean taking out? Well, it's not part of the. It's the Triple Crown. No, I don't think it is. No, it's no. not because it was Bahrain, Dubai, and they all went to Western races, aren't they? Aust- Austria. Oh, the Austria. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So I think that will take out some of the real big hitters. So I think it's going to be a fascinating little series. Hmm. Tom will tell. Will, will they pay out the million this year? That's the big question. Okay, John. Well, WTC have sent out another press release this week saying that the Women for a Try announces recipients of the first ever grant and scholarship programs awarded for to support female triathletes. So Women to Try raised more than a hundred thousand in its inaugural year. So when they talk about that, how did it raise this money? Maybe you should do your research and find out, Bevan. Okay, maybe well, because I just find well, that really interesting. Because sometimes I find companies a little bit frustrating when they basically like, like at a bank, and they'll have you know you donate when you just set the thing, mm. and then they take all the credit. Oh, we've donated all this money. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you're taking a lot of credit for donating all this money, and yes. I'm not sure. Did they just take money out of entry fees to do women's and try? You go find out. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm gonna I've got to say, fantastic work, but it's going to be one of those fantastic work, but but I love situations. <laughs> Because so what they basically do with the, the Women's for Try, they gave out 24 grants for an average grant of 2,500 per club. So each club would do that. And it's really focused around utilising those funds to provide specific training for women's, women's triathletes. Fantastic. Trying to get more women in the sport. Awesome. Obviously, they've got an ulterior motive, but really good for getting getting um, more females into the sport that's part one part two is they have a woman for try college scholarship and then they have uh, three away didn't they yeah five thousand dollar grants to undergraduate and graduate students who are active members of their respective collegiate triathlon teams and that can go towards uh, gear books coursework private coach and uh, towards tuition fees so fantastic really good Trying to make uh, get one more one of the sport, which is great. 
well, what about the rest of the world? It's okay. just bloody America. <laughs> oh, that's, really? that's my butt. Oh, okay. is fantastic. But what about the rest of the world? Because well, I did send anywhere else in the world, John. I, I, I sent specifically sent them an email thinking this could be something quite good for our club. Sent them an email, never got a reply. Well, then give you some love back, John. No. Okay, well, so one for a try. Uh, first of all, WTC, don't write in, in all caps on your <laughs> website, okay? It's rule number one of writing. I'm not even that good a writer, and I know this. Okay, so, uh, staying true to our mission, Women in Try has launched two unique programs to support and engage female triathletes. The first of many steps towards increasing female participation will be providing targeted grants and scholarships to tri clubs and female collegiate athletes can now apply to receive grants and scholarships from Women for a Try. Funding for these programs will come from the sales of Women for Try merchandise, along with donations made to Women for a Try. So it's not really coming out of their pockets. No. Although I suppose the profit from sales. Mm. Yeah, so got to come from somewhere. But it's not, they're not like they're saying, "Hey, let's open my wallet and <laughs> mm. <laughs> give some love." So. Uh, so the cynic says, "Okay, what, what, the cynic says it's a pity it's not international." Yeah, oh, that's, yeah. I think it's all. I think it's all good. That's the only. The only thing I'd really say is, what about the rest of the world? How many t-shirts do you reckon I've sold? Um, I've got absolutely no idea, Bevan. Neither. I'm just kind of curious. Um, how do you? So, so what? You didn't hear back. I never heard back. Oh, did not. Did that. not share the love. So fantastic! I just think, what about the rest of the world? But I, I dare say, most of the sales, if it came came from the sales, probably would have been in America. So fair enough. But if you... the problem is, if you want to be a global sport, you've got to be global. Mm. Mm. You know what I mean? Like you can't kind of just un- America centralize things. Mm. You know, like it, it's a global sport now, mm. and it actually, as you say, this is, you know, like I know it's a bit of a counter argument to the fifty fifty. Uh, 50 and Kona, and mm. uh, and you know, I saw Rachel Joyce saying, We're not giving up the fight, yeah. You know, so you know, people are out there kind of still giving the fight for 50 and Kona. Um, and this is probably WTC's kind of counter argument to it. And they're focused on improving participation rates rather than uh, is two and a half thousand dollars much for a club? Oh, you could run, yeah, you could run a little program for that. Pay a coach to do, I don't know, a weekly session. I haven't done the maths on it. Or you could do a little, um, yeah, a couple of little seminar weekends or something like that. So, yeah. yeah so, so it's going towards the right area of trying to get people to do triathlon, which mm. is which is good. But yeah, if you kind of limit it to one country, it's it kind of undervalues. It, it gives some us us cynics in the world, John, mm-hmm. a really obvious thing to point at. Yes, you know. And, you know, and we're good at doing that. Yeah. Well, you are. I'm, I'm positive, Bev. Yeah. Um, okay, John, anything else in the news? No, it's a very quiet time of the year. It's very quiet. Oh, I was just telling John before the show, Ryan Hall has retired from marathon and uh, because low testosterone. Mm. Mm, to the point where we can only train 12Ks a week. 12Ks a week? 12 miles a week, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. That's... Like, he's just, he's, he's kind of screwed, really. And um, pretty fascinating stuff because he's only 33. Mm. And he was saying he felt he had his best runs in front of him, mm. um, which we all do. But <laughs> you know, but at the same time, pretty interesting. You know, mm. he was some of the training he did was pretty crazy. But when you he was train- going to the London Olympics, he was doing pace at run like race pace runs three times a week. Mm. You know, and long and just basically, how long can you sit on race pace for? Mm. That's, and those guys' race pace is pretty quick. Strange, <laughs> four forty six miles. Yeah. Some athletes can keep going for years and years and years. Others can't. And then training at a very high level as well. So the old human body's a funny old thing, Bevan. Funny old thing, John. But let's talk about a sponsor. 
Athlinks.com. Oh, tell me is, about some social networking. Well, this, this is where I was saying before that uh, this is where Challenge Orca Challenge Wanaka, the original one, is coming out. And Victor- Victoria, if you're listening, the reason why I was bringing this up is that the first year they ran it was run by a different organiser and things fell apart after that first year. Pretty quickly. It took you a bit, bit of time to get that money, let's be honest. It, let's be honest, it did take a long time uh, to, to get it because it wasn't, you know, the, the challenge model is it was all franchised out and so one, one guy was organising it, it had the challenge brand on it. This was the first ever challenge race outside of yeah, Rote yeah. Um, back in 2007 and yes, as we've said, I did manage to get third. On the, but this was a race that is still there but obviously run by a different organiser now mm. and whether they didn't get access to the results or they just disappeared off the website and didn't have a copy of them, whatever, um, the, race, the results have disappeared. But thankfully, I managed to get them up on Athlinks before that happened and uh, so we still have a record of that 2007 oh, event. Why, well, so I would have sent the link through. I wanted to bloody get that one up there pretty quick. Yeah, mate, you're uh, a legend. And so, again, just highlights that these races that disappear, um, you can keep a record of them. So if you go to athlinks.com, and challenge Wanaka, this will come up and it keeps my little five minutes of glory in there. I've got to say, it was a bloody close race. Uh, 8.54.17 for good old Luke Dragster. Um, Sorry, Luke Dragster took it out, that's right. Luke Dragster, here's yeah. a funny story about Luke Dragster. He never told anyone the same age. Yes, He'd always he have a different age. I was on him with him at challenge uh, route. And he's a bit of a character, old Luke. And uh, yeah, his age was always a mystery. Mystery. Yeah. Uh, and only about 45 seconds or 50 seconds behind was uh, Justin Granger. But that was the Pete Verbusic race as well. It was. Because he yes. won it, didn't he? Yes. So the, 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 the story of the race, John, the controversy was at the race briefing, they said you could wear gloves. Gloves, yes. Because it was bloody freezing, basically. Yeah. And. He wore webbed gloves, didn't he? Yes. And then after the race, he said, uh, Well, no, what actually happened when he was racing, he was given a, a penalty. So he passed me on the bike at some stage and I hung on for a little while. And then on the run, he was given, I think it was a 10-minute penalty. And uh, so I'm running along. And at that stage, I think I was in fifth. And run past him standing there with the official just standing there. Penalty. It was something like that. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. And uh he was just standing there sort of jogging on the spot and I ran past him and then a little while later he just came steaming past me. And I was running at a pretty good pace. I ran three oh two. I think it was a little bit short, but uh so I was I was going at a pretty reasonable pace. And uh he came steaming past and yes, I think you're right. I think he did manage to get up for the win, I think. Or, sure or, yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, he, and he uh, subsequently got disqualified, which moved me up from fourth to third, which I was pretty happy about. Yeah. Wait, so how far were you were you from those two? Oh, I was ten minutes behind Justin Granger. Seconds. Yeah. Just lots of seconds. Yes. <laughs> so got smoked a bit on the bike as per usual, and uh, that year I think it was uh, Hilary Biscay. Yeah, she led out the swim. Tried to hang out. She was the first person overall out of the swim. Held the swim Did course record for Did a she while. Win the race? She got uh, third female, so it was Belinda Granger was first, Karen Balance was second, and Hilary Biscay was third. Wow. I was hanging on to Hilary Biscay's feet in the swim, and then she just gassed me. That is a long time ago, isn't it? Yes. Like, it's ten, like we must have started the it show. 2007. We must have just started the show. Because mm. if it's 10 years... Oh, no, 2007, is it? Okay. Mm. So it's not 10 years in. Whatever. Whatever. 
Okay. Tenth edition. Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. Tenth edition. There you go, John. Well we done. can count. Woo! So Cumming got sixth. Yes. He's a, he's a local legend in triathlon in New Zealand, especially down the lower part of the island, South Island. Um, so the main point is, get your, all your results up Richard on Athlinks as quick as you 16. can. Yep, he came on one of our camps um, over in France. Yeah. So get on athlinks.com, make sure your races don't disappear from your athletic history. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And this is a really great example of that. So athlinks.com, guys. Check, check, check it out. And also make sure you get in the habit of submitting your races yourself. It's a pretty easy process. Once you've done your race, go home, link the website to Athlinks, and you'll be happy you did. Okay, Jonbo, last week's discussion. We've got a 500 show. It's actually next week. 500th show. But yeah, Bevan sprung that on me. He decided to count our Christmas shows as shows. Well, they were shows. Which we don't usually do. No, I've always done that. Do you? Yeah. You didn't do that for every Epic Camp show, though. No, no. Show-wise, we've mm. done mm. probably closer to five fifty. Mm. Yeah, because also the Kona shows I don't do. Mm. So we're probably closer. So you just use your discretion. Hey, <laughs> I'm the tech side boss in the show. In the show, I tell you. So, so the yeah. question, question was, what, what should we do for our five hundredth episode, which is actually going to come up uh, very quickly? And here's what we had. Chrissy McKinley, I think you should replay episode one that we can see how far both your podcasting skills have come and what the gossip was 10 years ago. Do you know the unfortunate thing, John, is? Probably hasn't come that far. <laughs> That's we, right. No, we, we do have two microphones now. <laughs> yeah. How long did we only use one mic? It was a long time, wasn't Too it? Too long. Yeah. <laughs> com- com- typical answer was, I mean, you can't do that. Yeah, it won't work. If I said, let's get another microphone. No, no, it's not work. true. I said, I don't know how to do it. I might not say it work. Um, but I do think it's a good idea, Christine, about uh, I'll maybe go back and, and look at a couple the of The first uh, show was really gossip. interesting because it was very much just introducing what the show is going to be. That about. was only short, yeah. Yeah, I think we did like a t- mm. 20 minute show and it was just very much, Hi, I'm Piffin and mm. I like triathlon. And John's, Hi, I'm John and yeah. I like triathlon too. Um, but then. I think Karen Balance was her first interview. Well, that was one of the things I was going to say and we could potentially do. I might just get in touch with Karen. She doesn't have anything to do with triathlon any longer. Maybe see what she's up to maybe because she was our first ever guest on the show. Um, Pete uh, Giffins has got 10-year anniversary. Get together in New Zealand is cool for those who can make it. How about an international Zwift group ride on the for the 500th? So Zwift is a... Um, it's another sort of an online uh, um, Strava type things. Uh, yeah, so your virtual reality. Well, not virtual reality. It's reality because you are riding against other people, um, and you'll yeah, you can do a lot of uh, a lot of deck measuring on there because they, oh, really? they have a KOM and a, a and a um, and a sprint every lap. It's uh, it's kind of fun, but it's if you've got a smart trainer, it's even better because then it really again simulates the hills going up and down and stuff. So it's uh, yeah, we, we're not going to do that, but um, it would be kind well, of thanks for the suggestion. Thanks for the suggestion. <laughs> Uh, Ed Hawkins videocast section as well as the podcast. That ain't happening with Peter Colson. We're going to do a video next week. Okay. Joe, how's Joe's video videographer we'll skills? Turn on Lady FaceTime. Okay. You know we make it work. Uh, Peter Colson, I certainly do a video of it as well as audio. We'll do a bit of video from the training weekend. Oh, of course. You got to get a. Get, what, do you know anybody with a GoPro? No. You can put it. Put the GoPro. Oh, Jeff. On. Jeff. He's yeah. going to come onto the bike ride. Yeah, we can do he's that. He's got one of those ones you put on your... He's got a GoPro, but he's got a camera that goes on his bike. Yeah. You can put it on yours, and as you pass everybody going up the climb... Yeah. It's going to break my heart that I'm not going to be able to. Yeah. And David Johnson said, pooing on the bike. 
Because he's talking about... Did we ever do a section of Pooh and the Blind? We does. Jeez, creepers. The yeah. sad thing was, those segments made our show popular. Mm. Yeah. So a couple of things. I was thinking about this last night, thinking, I don't want to do an athletic challenge because we'll probably both end up injured. I was thinking like, you know, we could do like a sprint up your driveway because Bevan lives down a, a quite a long, steep driveway. Yeah, it's a pain. That's my driveway. Uh, and things like that, and I just thought we're both going to get injured, and I don't yeah, really don't want that. We're not young anymore, are we? are not young, and we're not dumb. And we look at Thanks a lot. So I thought a few little challenges for in our 500th show, we can have an um or an ah count because we both do um and ah a bit. But what do you mean? Like, so isn't all our shows in? The, no, just in the 500th, we have competition to see who can do the least ums and ahs. I don't think we're that bad. We're not Richie McCaw. Uh, maybe we are. No. So, so no, Richie, Richie McCaw's the all about captain. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh yeah, um, he, um, um. It sounds like he's. Are you trying thing. to say he's not God? That's his one weakness. That's his. That's his kryptonite. Is okay. the um because okay. he you lose his credibility when he does play commentary, doesn't mm-hmm. he? You have to admit it. He's not the worst. Um. Who's the worst? Who's worse than him? Oh, I don't know. Yes, anyway, I thought we'd do a little bit of a general knowledge you know, test. You know, he's so good, Richie McCaw. So we had some friends. We went down to Glendale Bay camping over Christmas. Yeah. And uh, one of our friends, we went and caught up one day after, like, just at night time for a drink. And uh, he said, oh, my God, the best day of my life. And what, what, what happened? Because I went around the bay with a friend, and Richie McCaw and his missus mm. were there, and they were spending the day. And his his friend knew Richie McCaw really well. So they spent the day with Richie. Mm. And uh, they took him out, and they said, they're talking wakeboarding, which is basically mm. where you you don't even have the rope. You just kind of surf the back of the wake. Mm. And uh, he said, Richie picked it up straight away. <laughs> it was a legend. Yeah. <laughs> you still have a rope in wakeboarding. Something's got to no, pull no, you along. The, no, they, they got, there is one where you don't use the rope. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know. But the guy was I said, you don't use the rope. And he's like, no. His son, the guy I know, his son's a rock star at it. Where you mm. basically just sit and you kind of surf mm. behind the, yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so we'll do a, a nice story. Um, we'll <laughs> Thanks a lot. We'll do a, um, we'll do a general, little general knowledge test. We'll come up with a few questions. I am talk specific questions, and uh, oh, maybe we should, we should do one at each other. Yeah, ten goodness, questions each. Goodness, and uh, then um, I'm going to have one for you. A little sports nutrition tasting test. Oh. I've got a whole bunch of gels back home, and they have not passed their expired date. <laughs> and the way you, you look, could, it seems very we'll, suspicious. We'll, we'll do something around that. As I thought, I thought we'll get Karen Balance, uh, see if I can get her in the studios, and then then I'll do a little thing based off what Chrissy suggested there uh, about a little bit of look back, maybe five years ago or or something like that. Maybe do a few snapshots of what was actually happening uh, on the show. Yeah, you know, ten years ago, that. Facebook wouldn't have been around. No, I don't know. Yeah. No, no, I wouldn't have because I remember when we first started. The one of the ways we built the audience was me just going on every forum. Mm. Like I would just find every triathlon forum and just post. What was the big UK one? Try talk was it? Try talk. Something, yeah, I think it was. Yeah. 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 It was a massive forum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you basically each week I'd go, I'd spend two hours just going on forums posting that we put the show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, crazy. Um, okay, guys, just a week's discussion. Could we ever get a park run type setup working in triathlon? Why or why not? Uh, what would need to happen to make it work? So for those who don't know, it's actually the boys from Mount. No, it's not. No, you keep saying that, but it's not. 
I'm pretty sure well, Tom this, this, this is article, pretty big and put it. Yeah, no, I'm not saying he's not, he's not the person that started it. There's an article. that What what um, got my interest in this is a so park run, as Bevan was saying, free runs all around the world. You go and run 5K around a park and it's a... a, a, it's, a it's a community kind of based thing. It's, it's not. It, it is a race. You know, you get your times recorded and stuff. Yeah, they, it's really but, well done. But it's free to enter and stuff. So... The first park run took place in 2004. Paul Sinton Hewitt, 55, an IT worker who ran for South London Harriers Athletics Club, decided to set up a different kind of event after tripping and falling during a run while representing his club. A hernia and torn hamstring left him unable to race. All of a sudden, you're the person that comes to the club to see your friends while everyone else goes running, and the last thing I wanted to do was sit in a clubhouse waiting to socialise, he says. I've been the recipient of lots of people's goodwill and decided it was time to give back. With Park Run, I could get with, uh, together with my mates and come and see them every Saturday, which was, um, uh, and then he could give something back to the community. And so then set up this thing that's, yeah, just as Bevan said, a volunteer little run. And now there, um, there are yes, 700, kind of 785 weird. events worldwide. And it's all done um, sort of on a, on a voluntary basis. Um, it does sound like they've got a couple of employees now, so they must somehow I'm make I'm pretty sure Tom does money. work for them. He might work for them, but he wasn't yeah. the one that started it. No, but he was involved pretty early. I think his influence probably helped, this, you know, with American absolutely. stuff. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess my question was... Would something could we ever get something like this happening in triathlon? It's obviously a lot harder to run a triathlon than it is to. Yeah, running is much easier. Yeah, but what, is there ever any scope where this could work? Why it wouldn't work? And if you did think there was a way, lots of why it wouldn't work more than why. So, like I think the why it wouldn't work is kind of obvious. So instead of saying why it wouldn't work, maybe the better question is how could it work? Yeah, and how does how does Park Run work so well when in this day and age? trying to get volunteers is like getting blood from a stone you know mm. if i put out an email to get volunteers to race i'll be lucky if i get one or two replies mm. um and there's so many events these days it's the reason they get good good volunteer bases is purely by going to organizations and paying those organizations so what is it the park run does so well that maybe we could learn from and could we ever transfer it to triathlon I do think they do very well in kind of that sense of you are a part of this community, you need to give back. Mm. Like they do kind of, they, there's a lot of communication. Um, again, I'm not an expert on Park Run, but I have seen a little bit of what they do. But there is a little kind of, you know, this week so-and-so has contributed to it. So they kind of give mm. that kind of social credit and all that stuff around that. So because it's, as you say, it's... A, it's free. Yeah. And mm. it's really important to have those people who are going to give up their time. Mm. You know, because it is, as you say, it's a, it's a hard thing nowadays, isn't mm. it? So, yeah, interesting stuff. Okay, John, we've got an interview coming up. Yes. Caroline Livesley. I'll get it to you. And we're I'll, gonna f- I'll ask her once I do. I'm doing the interview today, so I'll ask her once I do the interview exactly how you say her name. Yeah, I've even done some questions for you. I don't thank God for that. Yeah. Because you know, I'd wing it otherwise. Yeah. Okay, uh, here's Caroline. Righto, team well, I have to say a big welcome along to Caroline Livesey, uh, who's a pro triathlete who was a pretty mean age group triathlete in her time and <laughs> went up the ranks. And I uh, just want to say, first of all, thank you for coming on the show. No, thanks for having me on. That's so great. first of all, maybe just give us a little bit of a history of your athletic background. Um, I, It's funny, I was listening today actually to Susie Cheatham's podcast with oh, yeah. you, um, the recent one, and she's kind of rocketed to fame in triathlon and sort of not, I guess been doing it for very long and I guess I guess I'm the opposite <laughs> I've been I've been doing this sport for a very long time and the level I'm at now I think is 
resulted from years and years and years of hard work. Not always an Ironman. I've been, um, I, I started triathlon in about 2004 or five. I didn't really start being, start taking it seriously until about 2007 uh, when I met my husband, Mark. And he started coaching me and I did a bit of standard distance and um, a bit of age group standard distance stuff. And yeah, and then did my first Ironman in 2010, but really didn't, you know, was just doing one a year kind of as an age grouper and not really taking it that seriously. Um, and yeah, the, the big change for me was in the last uh, three years, I left the military. I was in the military before. Oh, wow. Um, so I was never able to string together consistent months of training. I was always looking, um, you know, looking at breaks in my training because of going on exercise or going on, um, tour or whatever, um, and changing jobs and changing locations and constantly on the lookout for new places to train because I was relocating. And so it was very disjointed and that's all changed for me now. I've left the military after a you know fantastic 10 years there and um yeah so I'm now able to train consistently around my my work and home life and that's that's what's made the big difference for me in the last couple of years you know you've been in the sport for a long time did did you, did you always kind of see that if I were able to commit more time to the sport that potentially I could you know look at being a pro or, or at least being competitive at a higher level or was it very much I was just recreational in this last period. I've just discovered this higher level. I think I always hoped that I could, you know, push myself more and get more from my body. But I was doing the best I could at the time and wasn't, you know, wasn't having any major breakthroughs. So I think I just thought I was, I was always going to be mediocre. Um, and it it was only really when, I dedicated myself to training harder and training more um, and being able to, um, yeah, like I said, just string it together consistently that I started to see things come together. And that was when Mark and I had a, you know, conversation about what I should do, whether I should stay um, in the age group ranks, which I was really enjoying. And I lot, you know, I loved racing as an age grouper and I loved the atmosphere and, the race dynamic and everything it's very different and but you know you stay as an age grouper and and it was becoming you know I was winning my age group by sort of half an hour at an Ironman and you either stay doing that and and uh you know or you go up you step up and challenge yourself and I, it, it took me last year was a very difficult step for me going pro it was never something that I thought I'd be able to do so I didn't have the confidence when I started out and it was really Mark who had the confidence in me um uh so yeah it was a bit it was a big step and for it all to come together like it did last year was a bit of a surprise so well maybe it's just a couple of questions around this kind of decision to go pro because as you're saying you're kind of killing it in most of the yeah. races you're doing but at the same time you did get third in Kona in 2014 so in the age yeah. group race did the appeal of going and trying to win the world championship as an age grouper what was the was that actually that appealing at all or was it actually not nah, it's not that appealing I want to go pro uh yeah it was definitely I Mark, Mark and I had always wanted to do Kona um 
so we decided to do it together and so I was always going to have to do that as an age grouper and I, I never considered that I would I would even uh, be anywhere near going to Kona as a pro so it was always a consideration to just do Kona once as an age grouper have a great time enjoy the race yes you know obviously I wanted to win my age group I think everybody who goes there with um the sort of results I had would you know would hmm. but at the same time I was I had what I consider for my standard at the time a very good race there and I came away really happy with how it had panned out um I wasn't hugely disappointed with not winning the girls who you know the girl who won my age group on the day was super strong so and, and at yeah. that, that time you just like were happy just to call it that as an age gripper it wasn't like oh next year I could come back and win it I didn't make the decision straight after Kona really about what I was going to do the following year so that I think I didn't no I didn't have a bit of burning desire to go back there and win as an age grouper um I, I at that point just thought well I've done Kona Kona's Kona's been and done you know we we didn't it it wasn't a consideration that I would go back you know it it wasn't financially really something that we were thinking about or could afford and so it was it was yeah I had a great race I loved racing Kona and I had a brilliant time out there we both loved Hawaii um but that's it done uh obviously that's changed a little bit now but (laughs) um but yeah so at the time I don't think I really considered it because it wasn't an option so for most people out there listening to this, uh, you know, you're a pretty typical age grouper, um, the, yeah. the possibility of becoming a pro never really happens. So when you start to get to this point where you've gone from being, you know, a bloody good, you know, age group athlete to actually going, I'm going to be a pro, what are the aspects you actually need to consider for your life around that? For me, it was a case of, I, I had trained pretty consistently as an age grouper for the year prior to Kona. So I before that, I'd had a year off um, and not trained at all. And I'd really only started training, um, yeah, like I said, a year out from Kona. So I'd only had a few months to prepare for my first um, Ironman, which was Texas, where I qualified. Um, so that year, I trained fairly consistently and I saw you know reasonable improvements um through that year which was what encouraged or I suppose what gave Mark and I both the encouragement that we needed for me to make that decision but I didn't change an awful lot in my life um and that's where I differ from the other or most majority of the other female pros and I think this is probably what you're asking and I up to my hours, I suppose, my training hours, um, a, a small amount. But other than that, everything pretty much stayed the same. Uh, but like I said, I think it's the consistency year on year and month on month and week on week that can get you the, uh, I guess, the results in the long term, certainly for someone like me. Um, and the other thing that really helped me with that was Exhale, which is... Um, sort of training software a platform where I log my training and I can see how each of my disciplines is is developing in terms of numbers and hours and power and all that sort of thing and it's really useful to track it that way as well 
so, so training wise, you're saying you, you, you kind of improved your hours or increased your hours training. It, it sounds like it stayed pretty much the same or did you actually shift your training philosophy with that more information and more time? The the one thing I think, well, it's difficult to put my finger on, to be honest. The difference with how I trained in 2015 was very small. You know, there was a small difference with how I trained in 2014. My hours probably went from 18, you know, a sort of average of in my big weeks of 18 hours a week as an age grouper to between 20 and 25 as a pro. So I'm still not doing anywhere near the volume that most majority, I would say, of the uh, female pros are doing. But my work have been very flexible in, although I still work a full, you know, full-time job and, and still fit in sort of 40 hours a week, they've been flexible in the timings to, to allow me to fit in longer sessions, for example, in the morning uh, before I get to work. So. I've been able to make use of that a lot more in 2015 than I had previously when I didn't really have the platform, I guess, to ask for that sort of thing at work. In regards to racing, uh, what changes when you go, you yeah. know, because you're saying I'm, I'm 30 minutes out in front of the rest of the field, <laughs> you know, most races I do, which is kind of cool, to then go racing as a pro where suddenly you're, you know, you're... An hour behind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so what changes in the way... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, what, what shifts in the way you actually race? And because and, it's a different oh, yeah. game, isn't it? Oh, it is, massively. And I think I've said this before, you know, when I... My first race as a pro last year was Ironman South Africa. Um, and it, it wasn't... Ironman South Africa is a regional championship race it attracts a really strong field. Yeah. I hadn't fully appreciated that at all, I think, before going there. I just thought, well, it's an early season race, you know, see what I'm made of, you know, let's jump in with both feet. I, you know, there was there was no real plan to my season last year. I just wanted to race a lot um, and just do as well as I possibly could. Uh, and, and I'm someone, I'm an athlete that definitely uh, responds to racing a lot. So I went out to South Africa and I didn't have the faintest how um, different it was going to be racing as a pro to racing as an age grouper. I really didn't. And even lining up on the start line with the, I think there were about 20 or 25 uh, women there that, that time, you know, the, some of the best athletes in the world, like said Jodie Swallow and, and Susie Cheatham was there and Lucy Gossage and Camilla Patterson, you know, it was a, a really well sort of turned out mm. uh, deep field there. And yeah, I was very naive. I just, uh, <laughs> you know, just took it as it came. And um, I didn't have a brilliant race there at all. And it was really on the bike that it came to me. I thought, you know what, this is really different. <laughs> I really don't know what I'm doing. Um, because I was completely on my own. Uh, com- you know, normally in an age group race, you've got people around you all the time. Yeah. Coming and going, you've got, you know, age group men or women or just there's there's people everywhere and in the pro race it's it's just not like that you you are I was on my own for the entire bike ride Uh, I saw one or two people come past me a couple of the really fast men I think they had a I don't know 15 minute um sort of behind us uh start time so you know a few of them sort of shot past me at various points but you know they, they weren't going my pace um yeah so 
and then I, I had no idea where I was on the until I got I got on the run and and set off on the run there was there was no information coming to me as I came into transition you know they were, I was I think 12th or 13th at that point so I think they'd probably got bored of announcing the women in <laughs> <laughs> um and uh and it wasn't until I got on the run and um, the first sort of section of the Ironman South Africa of course you run out and back and so I could see the other girls coming back towards me and I thought you know what I'm not actually you know miles and miles behind where I at that point I convinced myself that I was just so rubbish and this was the only race I was ever going to do as a pro and how, how could I possibly have imagined that I could I could cut it at that level so it was quite funny to see then that actually I wasn't that far behind the girl in front and the girl in front of her and you know everyone was within a few minutes of each other coming back towards me so uh that gave me a bit of a boost but it was too late by then I'd I'd sort of talked myself out of the race by that point oh really so you think that mentally you just lost the game oh yeah yeah I, I, on the bike which is my strength I had just convinced myself I was utterly rubbish oh really wow that's interesting <laughs> so yeah so 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 you but you decided to stick at it because you signed up and did I mean Lanzarote so what did you feel you needed to shift into to go you know because Lanzarote already had quite a good result so what what kind of change for between that first race where even just you maybe signing up for a second race was maybe the challenge yeah um I came away from South Africa th- sort of with a lot to think about and we, we we sort of tweaked tweaked my training a bit and I knew going into Lanzarote that I was going to have to really pull something out on the bike because it's uh, you know it's a, it's a strong bike as course it's yeah. super hilly it's super windy and those are the conditions that I train in and I think it just felt a lot um, more friendly in terms of the race course going into that South Africa I, I didn't really um know that much about the course I guess and it, it's a bit of a funny one um but Lanzarote is just notorious and notorious for its hills and notorious for its wind which is exactly the conditions that I train in at home so I think I just thought you know what this race is going to be really tough but if it's really tough that's good for me it's good for my um, psychology, I guess, uh, racing. And I just approached it in a very different way to how I, I, I felt so much pressure going into South Africa and it was all self-induced. Mm. <laughs> and, I, and I just totally didn't let, let that come to Lanzarote with me. I remember even on the start line on race morning, Mark, my husband, was racing as well. And we were both sitting um, at the beach front. And I said to Mark, you know what, I could just get back to bed. I was I was sort of half asleep. <laughs> and normally on race morning, I'm, you know, I'm bouncing off the walls and I thought, oh God, I'm going to have such a rubbish day today. I really am. But I think it was just my response to what had gone previously was to just relax and enjoy it and just go out and have a good time. And and actually, you know, that, that was, I think, one of the best races I had last year. So was there, um, was there um so. was this a conscious choice to actually figure out a different mindset or do you think that it just kind of happened through you know letting go of South Africa like you know did you actually sit down and think okay well there needs to be a mindset shift here uh, how do I go about doing that what's the better mindset yeah so, yeah it, we did we did yeah we worked on that so, so um, the, yeah oh, <laughs> um yeah um 
Mark Mark is really great at the sports psychology side of things. So we 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 definitely talked about that a lot and I I I realized, you know, that I wasn't going to be able to race again at that level with the same attitude that I went into South Africa with and mm. I just had to be be positive and be confident and and hope that I could perform the way that I knew I was capable of. So it turns out it was a pretty good strategy. So then the rest of the year last year, you, you, you had some really good results. You got an eighth in uh, 70.3 Norway. I mean, UK, you pulled off a second, uh, third in 70.3 Turkey, and fifth in the Middle Eastern Championships in the Bahrain race, which is a pretty stellar field as well. So uh, t- tell us about the rest of the year. Yeah, it was absolutely mental. Um, the, as I said, I'm an athlete that seems to respond well to racing, a lot and I raced eight uh full Ironman and, and 70.3 races in less than eight months last year wow and it it wasn't really planned like that you know it, we didn't sit down at the start of the year and say this is what we're going to do it was just um the way it panned out and I, I definitely raced um Ironmans well straight after a 70.3 so we tried to fit those in um, you know, three or two to three weeks before each of the big Ironman races, and um, and then I ended up doing, you know, reasonably well in the seventy point threes as well, which was totally unexpected. Um, and I still got a lot of work to do. And I, you know, I, I'm I'm realistic about my performances. I can look at those and I can look at them in comparison to the top girls. And I know there's an awful long way for me to go, and I've got a lot of work still to do if I. You know, if I want to step up another level, but it, it's coming, you know, and it's coming to me. So uh, fingers crossed, I can, I can keep heading in the right direction. But with um, you know, you work full time, which is which is kind of crazy to think about. So you're doing full time, and then yeah. you're being a pro athlete. How do you balance that? <laughs> um, well, I guess firstly, I'm really lucky that my work is. Um, I guess where I live and where I work, uh, it's all very compatible to training. So we've got a great um, local pool that is available to, to us to train in when we want to. Um, we've got fantastic cycling right outside the front door. I don't need to do an awful lot of logistics, basically, to do my training. So that really helps. I don't have a big commute. Uh, Mark has a gym in Harrogate, so I can train there whenever I need to. And like I said my work can be can be very flexible with timings for me but I mean ultimately there's no um (laughs) there's no magic wand you know I I uh I just fit an awful lot into the day but that's how I like it I like to be busy I love my job I'm very lucky in that respect that I'm a geotechnical design consultant so I'm a civil engineer by trade and um I really love engineering and so I, I don't go to work thinking, oh, God, I've got to go to work after, you know, after a big training session. I actually really enjoy going into the office and switching completely off from triathlon, uh, talking about engineering, doing my, you know, doing my job that I've trained years and years to be where I am uh, in that job. And, um, you know, my colleagues all think I'm totally mad, but they, uh, they they take an interest in what I do. And I'm really well supported at work as well in that respect so I'm very I'm very lucky you know I'm doing two things I love at at the end of the day I I love engineering and I love triathlon so there's no complaints here that I I don't sit around thinking oh god I wish I could go 
full time and follow all these pros that I read about on Twitter who are constantly in warm weather training camps. <laughs> but but is, but is that the plan? Like you know, like you've you had a pretty good year last year. If you can back it up this year, is the plan to actually to get to the point where even work would not necessarily be there? It's not a plan. Um, if it happens, I mean, it would be extreme, I, I guess, still in my mind, far flung for me to imagine that that would be, you know, that I could make a living from triathlon. Uh, but if it, if it happened, it happened. I don't, I don't think it will. I, I think I'll always, and I will always be an engineer, you know, that will always be my uh, career. So no, that there isn't at the moment um, any plan for me to go full time. The um, the only plan is that if I if I do hopefully get um, you know get some good results this year and qualify uh, for Kona, then potentially I might take um, a couple of months of of less working um, and more trading just to prepare for that. But we'll have to just see how the year plans out. So, so on that front, you know, last year you just missed out on qualifying to Kona. What, what, what slot did you? Yeah. Where did you get in the end? Um, what, what do you mean in terms of the rankings? On the rankings, yeah. Well, I think I was third or fourth slot below the cutoff. Oh, so close! Uh, and obviously, yeah, the fifty so, for Kona, you know, that would have changed everything. But um, yeah, so I don't know if you saw on Wits Up, they published a article called the missing 15 oh, <laughs> and they really? profiled yeah they profiled all the girls who missed out on Kona because of the yeah. lack of places or the inequality in the in the places between the men's field and the women's field and it was really interesting reading that actually because a lot of the girls who missed out were so talented and had such great results you know podium positions and tons of races and and it's sad to see that sort of talent really not making the cut for Kona. Um, I think it's terrible. And, and I'm certainly a big advocate for 50Q and I'll be wearing the tattoos when I'm racing this year and, and supporting that movement. Is the goal to get to Kona this year? Is that the number one goal? Yeah, that's the number one goal. So then how do you go about doing it? Like we know this year that, you know, as much as I think everyone in the sport kind of thinks the 50 is the way to go, um, What's the approach to get you there this year? Yeah, and that's the thing, you know, <laughs> when you limit the number of spots to 35 um, and you've got such a competitive bunch of girls, it becomes really strategic uh, to to qualify. And I, again, last year had absolutely no idea about this. And it was really just by fluke that I managed to get anywhere close to qualifying. So this year I have much more of a of a strategy, I guess, um, I've been helped a lot by Torsten, who does yep. the tri ratings website. Um, he's he's brilliant. His background knowledge and all the races and points and everything um, has been so helpful. Because actually, from the outside, and you know, I'm sure there's even pros out there that don't really understand how it works. <laughs> it, it it is a, a little bit of a, a complicated system. Um, so, and you have to target particular races that suit you and that. Um, suit your profile as an athlete um, so yeah uh, th- there is definitely a, a much more of a strategy this year but there's still an element of I'm just going to have to see because as uh, as Susie said in your last podcast you know it's Ironman anything can happen on race day and it's such a long race that you, there's so many um, different things that can go wrong 
you've really you really you, you can go into a race as fit as you like uh, and you can be as consistent an athlete as you like there's always that element of risk so you can't put all your eggs in one basket or or plan your season too carefully you've got to swing swing with the times a little bit <laughs> but I'll be definitely doing Lanzarote again which uh, which will be my first Ironman this year uh, do you have many points already uh, so I've got a thousand just over a thousand on the board uh, at the moment yep from and, my two so many point threes so and, and what kind of points I, I don't know off the top of my head how many points do you actually think you need uh, so to get through the cutoff, the early cutoff, I probably need four thousand, um, just upwards of four thousand. Okay. Um, and then the second cutoff, yeah, uh, sort of around about the same four, four and a half thousand. It it kind of goes up every year because, um, yeah, it's just it's so competitive. <laughs> so. What, what, because I'm just kind of curious. You come from a military background. What about the military has been good for your sport? You know, what what because I can imagine this pretty amazing life experiences being in the military. Uh, what, yeah. what what has been some of the kind of I don't know character traits or life lessons or things that have really helped your sport? And maybe what have been some of the things that have kind of made it hard for your sport? So, I mean, being in the military was was where I started triathlon and and the army triathlon scene was really positive for me uh it's a, a great little club and there's a lot of certainly when I was was in there there was an awful lot of um experienced athletes around who were very um they gave advice very freely so that was fantastic for me when I was getting into the sport and learning an awful lot about it the um disadvantages were like I said before you know you moving jobs an awful lot you're having to find your training routine every time you change jobs and and there never really is a routine because you're you know you're away a lot but I think psychologically it made me really strong being in the military and the other thing I think is you you know sadly are confronted quite often by um the the death of young people Mm. and that in itself can make you somebody who who I, I suppose values their own life an awful lot and I, I you know I, I definitely have this mantra now that I've just got to fit as much as I possibly can into every day and every week <laughs> because you just never know what's around the corner and that's partly I think why I'm so motivated to just do everything <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to just focus on one thing I just want to you know, do everything now. So <laughs> I think okay. that's how. And on a personal level, how do you actually handle it? Because God, like my life, I've never experienced death. And, and um, like for you to be in an environment where that's something that is real and happens, you know, probably more often than most of us would like to experience. How do you actually deal with that? The army has a funny way of dealing with that and it is very much a case of you're you're part of a family you know in the military and you become very close to the people that you work with because of the experiences you go through and it's unfortunately something that people have to deal with fairly regularly so there is there's an element of uh, black humor about it and there's an element of camaraderie and I think you just sort of pull together in those situations um 
and I think the other thing is that it's slightly different to um, losing someone young in other walks of life in the sense that when you join the military, that's a risk you know that you're going to take and you're volunteering for that risk, as it were. Mm-hmm. Well, it's pretty fair. Yeah, it's, it's hard to comprehend. It's it's nice that the attitude you've it's given you is make the most of life. Um, you know, it's pretty yeah. impressive. Yeah. You, you talk about your yeah. partner a lot. You talk about how, you know, he's obviously an athlete himself, obviously has a coaching background and very into fitness. How do you guys manage the relationship, you know, where you're both obviously high demand lives, high stress life? Um, quite fatiguing lives you know how do you guys manage that to make sure it stays healthy through these types of lifestyles yeah um we actually have always had that uh, relationship you know um we've, we've always both done triathlon and it's something that works for us I'm, I'm sure some people find that hard to believe but we, we train an awful lot together we support each other through our training marks a you know, very accomplished coach. He's, uh, you know, he does that for a living now as well. I do a little bit of coaching as well. And we sort of combine our knowledge to coach me as it were. And he, I think, um, I'm, I'm a much stronger athlete because of the fact that I've got access to, uh, Mark's brain and Mark's knowledge and his, um, experience on a daily basis you know he he's the one that can see when I'm tired or when I need pushing and and you know on the on the confidence side of things as well um but we we don't <laughs> we, we definitely don't have just triathlon in our lives you know there's, we, we've got a lot of other things going on as well and we we make time to to step away from it all and um you know make time for each other as well so we don't get too bogged down and we just try and have a good time doing it. And we're very grateful. I think that we both have that opportunity and we have our health and Mark was also in the military. So he's from a similar um, sort of psyche as me, I guess. Yeah. It's just, you know, you see so many kind of relationship problems for our sport and, you know, to see couples who can do it well Mm. is is really, you know, it's, it's a model that we need to figure out because, you know, unfortunately we do, you know, <laughs> I remember doing Epic Camp and everyone on Epic Camp was either divorced or single. And I was like, this, <laughs> yeah. uh, something's not right here. Um, yeah. No, see- but I think we're so lucky in that respect because we both do the sport. So we both understand the others uh, need to train and, and desire to do well and the competitive spirit. And, you know, there are ups and downs. Of course there are. And when one of us has a good race and the other one doesn't, then that's, you know, that's one of the hardest things mm-hmm. um, to to get through. But but then equally, you know, you're always happy for the other person. So it's, um, yeah, it, it works for us anyway. <laughs> you, you have a big interest in uh, nutrition. Uh, you have uh, IBS, irritable bowel yeah. syndrome. Uh, mm-hmm. What's your approach you take to it? <laughs> um. Oh, it's taken me years and years to figure out that one. Uh, I don't, I don't know if I can, I can compress it into a soundbite. Um, <laughs> it's, oh, it's the worst thing in the world. And I mean, IBS is just a term which means your bowels don't work well. Yeah. You know, doc- doctors can't figure out what's wrong with you, but it's not working. <laughs> Something's up, but we can't um, tell you. Sorry. Something's up, but we can't tell you what. Exactly. Um, but you know, funnily enough, that that whole um 
the, the IBS started for me from uh, being on tour in Afghanistan. And uh, I got really sick out there, really, really sick and um, was sort of two weeks in hospital with uh, various, well, with a stomach virus and and it stemmed from that. So uh, it was a, it was not, it's not something that I've always had. Um, and luckily for me, I, at the time, got some really great help from um, Ian Freeman, who's a fantastic nutritionist, uh, who helped me to figure out what it was that was actually, you know, making me really sick afterwards. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm I'm a great believer now in in just healthy eating and, uh, you know, unprocessed foods. It's the processed foods that really, really uh, do it for me. Um, so it's really important for me that my nutrition is right. And that's another thing that I suppose really helped with my uh, ability to train consistently is just I don't get ill anymore I very rarely got IBS and my body seems to recover really well now with the nutrition that I give it so I'm very grateful that actually I went through that because it's helped me discover and uh, learn about you know what's what my body needs and what works for me and I've I've had to learn that because it was it was either that or just be in pain all the time <laughs> Well, well, it's good that you've got the place. Um, just, just lastly, you've got a charity that you work a lot with. Do you want to tell us a little bit yeah. about charity work? Yeah. So, um, thank you. The I Man for the Kids are a South African charity who I got in touch with prior to I Man South Africa last year, and they help um, a number of uh, beneficiaries for uh, working with young kids in South Africa and. Basically, they they raise money every year through the South African Ironman and 70.3 events. So if you're heading out there to do one of those events, uh, you know, be it Ironman South Africa or be it one of the, I think they've got a 70.3 coming up this weekend, actually. um, Then just please check out Ironman for the kids. And if you can donate uh, to them while you're out there or just give them a shout, um, give them a tweet, give them a mention on Facebook and just help raise awareness because they're a really small charity. They don't have uh, a lot of staff. Most of them are doing it for free. Um, and if it weren't for that charity, a lot of the kids that they help would be on the street because they don't have the same uh, support in South Africa that, um, you know, some other parts of the world have for, for children like that. So yeah, it's really important work they're doing and, and they're a, a really great bunch of people. I'll put a link to that in the show notes, guys. So if you want to go support oh, IMF for Kids, I'll put a link for it in the show notes. Uh, just any sponsors or anyone you want to kind of plug before we wrap it up? Yeah. Um, so I'm really lucky this year to, uh, again, be on a Specialized um, with a Specialized Concept Store in Harrogate helping me out with that. I've got um, Hoob doing all my wetsuits and stuff and um, got On Shoes for uh, running. And obviously there's uh, Train Exhale uh, training software website. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Good luck in getting to Kona. We're going to be there this year, so hopefully we get to see you in Kona and smack it out there in that next level. And, oh, uh, fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and good luck for the rest of your training, and thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thanks so much, Bevan. Really great to talk to you. It's Carolina. We do this interview later on today, so we're not quite sure what happened on the interview, but I'm sure she was a rock star, John. Yes. Good new segment, John. Oh, we have some music. Okay, Find some, some new music. music. Okay, I don't have really good music nowadays, but here we go. Let's have a look.
My first try. Very good. Lift you out on your own there. Are you talking about the sport here, John? (laughs) (laughs) Come on, that's a good joke. (laughs) Glad you think it's funny. (laughs) That's cold. My first try is probably appropriate too, let's be honest. (laughs) That that music was proudly brought to you by Andrew Ferguson, who did some clips for us a while ago that Bevan refused to use, and I think was fantastic. On Facebook, people back me up on that, so... There we go. I like what he did, but we, 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 tradition, John. Tradition. Anyway, so I've got a new... John's first try. A new, <laughs> a new, well, I think I've probably told the story, but we'll tell it again. So if you do want to submit yours... and we oh, have, So you can go on and do it, John. Oh, yeah. So you go, I am talk.me, and then I've, I've created a new little section I'm, there. I'm worried we're going to get six-page like rest reports here. No, no. Well, it's all going to go into an Excel spreadsheet. So I've, I've saved you a job, you see. Oh. So you're not going to get the emails... It's just going to go straight into a spreadsheet. It's my responsibility, Bevan. But what we want is bullet points. Yeah. We don't want a five... Like we, so what, what John's vision is, is you guys are going to send through the story of your first try. We want this to kind of be comical. Mm. Or, or there needs to be some kind of interest in it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, like John's one's going to be... If, you, if your first that. try went perfectly fine and it was all... You yeah. just had a fantastic race. We don't want to hear about it. <laughs> we don't care. <laughs> we want to hear about your pedal falling off and you're putting yeah. your helmet on backwards yeah. and holding on to the lifeboat and the swim right. and yeah. them closing spewing up. Spewing over the finish line. Yep, that's what we want to hear. Yeah, spewing on somebody else. Yeah. Anything like that. Good stories. We don't want, you know. So if you go to imtalk.me, there's a little submit content button now and you then go down on that and then there's my first try. Okay. And Brilliant. there's also now an age group of the week one. I'm saving you time, oh, Bevan. Good work. Keep it up. So if you want to do Age Group Week, don't send me an email. Go to the website. Yes. So my first try, Bevan, yeah. was in Corsia Bay, which is actually going to be the site of our swim for the uh, for the 10-year anniversary weekend, which I've now got sorted out. I've got some support kayaks out there. We're gonna oh, we're going to swim. We're going to have wow. got about four or five support kayaks, and we're going to swim to Quail Island and back, 2K each way. So it's going to be 4K swim. I was a bit worried. I was, I was really at the, hoping for that pool swim. No, it's uh, 2K there and back. No, no piking out. It's all going to be GPS verified as well. An hour and a half, I Oh, crap. I haven't swam in <laughs> nearly 10 years. You'll be fine. Phil, Phil will be there, and you've been doing about the same amount of swimming as Phil. No, I, I really think I'm, I'm going to be looking at about an hour and a half. Okay, that's all right. So, um, so my first one was around there, and, and this is in the Littleton Harbour. It's basically just hills everywhere. Um, but the really tricky thing, we're not going to do this in our 10-year anniversary, is you swim and then you've got to run up this really tough hill to get to transition area. Yeah. So first thing for me, I was a swimmer kid, so this, I would have been 14 at the time. Uh, so that was a lot of years ago. Yeah, that is a, John, that's a, a I was either 14 or 15 anyway. And what, 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 Let's take it back a step. What made you want to do your first try? Because I was a swimmer, and then I was—I'd reached my plateau at thirteen. I thought I've made it. I've got dreams going. I ain't getting like Ryan Hall. I'm giving up. Yeah, I was just—I was—I was—and I'd had some really good races. And I thought, oh, I don't think I'm going to keep going. And lots of other kids around me were really starting to advance. I was like, don't. And and the thing was, I was a good good runner as well because I had really good fitness. I wasn't necessarily a good runner, but because no. I was so fit yeah. from swimming, I did well the running. So I thought I'll give. So were you doing running races at this time? Just yeah, yeah, sort of cross country stuff and win that and think I'm I'm all right at this. And it just happened. And this is John Hellman's who's been on Legends of Triathlon. Go back and listen to that interview if you haven't. And he had a a group going and just rocked up to that and uh, and got stuck into it. But this was before that sort of happened. And so I had a wetsuit. 
but I'd been down to like the, the, the windsurf shop and just hired a wetsuit from them. And it was a sleeveless one, but it didn't have a zip. It just was one of those ones where you had sort of Velcro over the, over the shoulder. Yep. And so I was quite a good swimmer at the time. And So you're thinking it, you're going to win the swim at least, don't you? I think I'm going to do all right. Yeah. And I've been swimming with the tri group a little bit and just smoking most of them. And, uh, but I wore this wetsuit. My God. It was the slowest thing oh, imaginable. And I got beaten out of the water by Bruce Baxter. You know Bruce, the yeah, podiatrist? Bruce, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bruce couldn't swim to save himself. <laughs> it was embarrassing. He was a fantastic runner, really good on the bike. He was like in the New Zealand elite team, but he could not save himself in the swim. And I just got annihilated in the swim. Thought I was going to drown just about. So miles down coming out of the swim. Then the bike, was it was a sprint distance, 20 k's. It was, it was, it was 20 k's of hills. You go around there... It was, it was pretty much zero flat. Is it the one where you head towards the other side of the hill? Uh, you, or you head towards, you, you turn, you basically got how many hills? You got probably about four hills each way. You go past Governor's Bay and yeah. it's and it's just hill after hill after hill. And so you, 14, 15, doing your first triathlon, I think my gear ratios on that bike, I had uh, a 42, it was, I don't know if it was a 52-42 or 53-42 on the front. So most standard these days is 39. So we had a 42. And then on the back, I think I only went to 21. And these hills, some of these hills are pretty damn steep. Mm. So I was just humping it around this course with a, a massive big gear. Uh, again, still getting pretty smoked. But I think the big highlight for me on that day, you won't have known the bike's called a Klein. I do know. I know it was started. With, it was a K, wasn't it? Was yeah, like, yeah, with yeah. a K. Yeah, yep. I, know, yep. I kind of know the brand. So yep. back in those days, I would have said the two big brands that you thought that was pretty cool would have been Cannondale and Klein. And the reason for that is they had come out with the bigger tubing. So everybody else's bikes is just you know your standard sort of size tubing back in those days. None of the TT frames or anything like that. Yep. But Cannondale and Klein. And they were big bright colours, fluoro colours and big tubing. And I remember passing this guy who was on a client who had all the gear yep. coming past Governor's Bay and I just thought I was pretty good, pretty damn cool. <laughs> I remember when, when I first started because I, I was trying to buy a bike and being cheap, I was trying to find the cheapest way possible and Cannondale was the brand. Do you know where I got my first bike from? Where's that? Um, John Bull? Somebody, no, somebody had... They put it in the newspaper. Oh, wow. So back in those days, yeah, you didn't you get... Yeah, like an online auction site. And it was funny. What happened is somebody, had, this bike had got left outside the house uh, and they just, they took it to the police and you handed a, the bike into the police and the police used to do, um, they'd hold them for a couple of months yeah. or whatever and then if they didn't get claimed, you could go and take them back yeah. and it'd be yours. I think that's still the case. Uh, no, they take them all to Turners now, Turners oh, really? Auctions. And so these, these people sold this bike for whatever, and it was actually quite a reasonable bike, and it would have been a couple of hundred bucks, but that was a lot of money back then. Back in, back in the 80s. And I still remember, uh, maybe a year or two later, it was years until I got a new bike, but I had it uh, sitting in a bike shop getting fixed. So I came in and said, that's my old bike. <laughs> And what, what happened? And they were going to come back in a couple of days and they never came back. They must have got an insurance payout and didn't really care. Oh, I was wow. like, oh, God, that's going to be the end of my bike. Oh. Anyway, so then did the bike. Can't really remember how the run went, but it was uh, it was not particularly fast. But the, the thing about this race, which was really important for me, was I actually ended up winning my age group, which was like the 13 to 15-year-old boys. I was probably one of two or something like that. But what happened from that was then I won a free trip to go to Nationals, which was up in Auckland. Uh, and 
all accommodation airfares everything paid for by the club why'd you win that because I won my age group and they wanted a representative uh, junior boy and a senior boy at the nationals oh. and so they paid for the tri-club pay stuff now? no <laughs> but it would be good to reinstigate that but that's what really got me going and thought bloody hell if I win that and win a trip first triathlon ever hey, you're going to be a pro that was that was the story of my first try I've got to remember my that was more than bullet points we yeah, were bullet John. points there were some good points in it stolen bike stolen bike remembering the decline yes getting smoked in the swim yep Bruce Baxter yeah He's a good guy. I like Bruce. He's yeah. a bit of a character. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen him in a while, but he always makes me laugh. You need any podiatry services in Christchurch? Podiatry med? He's really good because he, you know, look, go to a lot of podiatrists and they'll just put you straight into orthotics and stuff. Bruce actually goes in, out there and has a look at what you're running and actually works on your technique and then tries to find a shoe, shoe solution for you. So check it out, podiatry med. We need more music now. Now it's more about us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and people say I'm the ego play out <laughs> let's just get into this one this one here is John's new new section is John and Bevan's current training tell us about your training what are you doing on a weekly basis to try to start I know well, no, let's not talk about last week because you are talking a big game up last week I was what, really what, and then I got a bit of plantar fasciitis how, how's the structure when you let's say you hadn't got that last week how do you structure your week given My you know you're quite a world. Yeah, yeah, no, but you're quite a way out from your marathon. Um, how are you sort of structuring your week? Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm not really too worried about pace training that much. Mm-hmm. Um, although I have been doing pace work in my training, I'm only running three or four times a week. I think you really annoyed a, a few people last week or the week before when you said you went out and ran 16k at four minute k pace, and people are going, "That's not fair. Bevan's not supposed to be fit. That's quite quick." Is that, is that, is that all right? Is it? Yeah, four minute k pace. It's good going. I look back and I think, well, when I was back in the day. You know, you're trying to go like 340s mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So four minute Ks isn't that fast. But, mm-hmm. you know, like it felt good. Um, uh, How do you so structure your week? I'm very much structured because I always have to consider my group fitness world. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm doing eight hours of exercise a week in group fit. Mm-hmm. And it's often very intense. So, mm-hmm. you know, the classes I teach, you're not mucking around. You really are killing yourself. And that's why, you know, when I get back to this type of exercise, obviously I can maintain a, a reasonable pace. But... Um, and so it's for me going into this race. It's like I've just over the last few years I've just been bloody injury prone. So I've really just tried to be very conservative and worry more about just getting base under hmm. me more than anything. So I've, I've aimed for three runs a week, maybe four. So mm-hmm. if I had a fourth, it will be just time on feet, really light runs. So it mm-hmm. might be anywhere from thirty to forty minutes, and it's just kind of moving your legs. Um, the run that I'm doing is uh, an off-road trail kind of mountain run. Mm-hmm. So, so basically, I have the three runs that are set in my plan are very much a hill run on a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm trying to do quite challenging hills on that. So, quite you know, pretty decent incline. Mm-hmm. Um, and and trying to work on intensity gauge, not pacing so much. So, trying to sit mm-hmm. on a certain heart rate intensity as I'm running up the hills. Uh, and just really good technique work because I want to build a good foundation around my technique going up the hills. So mm-hmm. all those types of things. So at the moment that's sitting around all this today, it's meant to be 90 minutes. So although I probably won't do a hill run today, just for my foot a little bit, bit delicate. Um, but yep, so basically those hill runs are going to be, are going to sit around that 90 minute mark on the Tuesday. Mm-hmm. They'll go up and down depending on where I am within the program. Uh, Wednesday would be a 10K run mm-hmm. and I might do a little bit of speed work in that, just pace work. Um, not not fast, not 10k pace work, you know, it's still just half marathon kind of pace work. Mm-hmm. And then on a Friday, I'll do my long runs. And mm-hmm. my long runs, the longest run I'll do is 36. I'm up to about 26 right now. Um, K's? Yeah, yeah, yep. K's. Uh, 
And, and, you know, so I'm going into this race with this expectation of it's just about completion. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily trying to be that fast. You know, like, historically being an athlete, I should be able to get a reasonable placing. And also this, although they get lots of people racing this race, it's not a strong kind of field. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, I'm not too concerned about paces. And although I like running fast, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's, you know, especially one thing I've, so there's a couple of things I've changed this time around is, I've made my rule that I always run to music. So often I would run to podcasts. But can you do that in the race? Uh, it doesn't bother me in races. Because mm. I think, I always think that you've got to make your conditions to help you train the best possible. Mm. And if I can train as best as possible, that's going to give me the best chance on race day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if you'll be able to in this race because they've got mountain bikes coming behind yeah. you. So I'm yeah. pretty sure they probably won't let you use the iPod. Um, but it doesn't bother me because I just, like it's been really interesting this time around music just makes me train better mm-hmm. especially when i'm doing my k repeats or when i'm doing my you know my pace work mm. if i've got good music on it's just so easy to sit on like a, a you know like a four minute k it's not even that hard mm. whereas if i haven't got music on or if i'm listening to a podcast the intensity pulls away and so for mm. me music's just a real good driver and, and i really try to create amazing playlists so it's like every song's another song that i love and and what i do with my music is i i do first half of the runs discovery so it's new music i haven't heard and second half's familiar and i just find i'm training so much better with the use of music and mm-hmm. to me if i can train better i'm going to race better so mm-hmm. that's how i look at it and so yeah and then i'm just being a lot more um so that's the running side of it i'm doing true two weight sessions a week so i teach a couple of pump classes but yep. i'm doing a lot of lower body hamstring uh glutes calves and stability work and a couple of core sessions a week so there's cx mm. classes so i've got so two cx classes um two weights room which is it's not really strength-based work it's more around just preventative work mm-hmm. and then three maybe four runs a week and then you got all your other your other group fitness yeah, stuff so i'm still yeah i'm still doing kind of seven or eight hours of exercise on top yeah. of that so yeah so but it's been a lot long time since i've done this level of exercise other than my plant is not that bad so i've taken five days off just mm-hmm. to get it right so i'll run today and i'll just kind of see how i feel today uh, i just I'm, yeah, nowadays i'm just really responsible with my injuries just stop when you need to and mm. you know five days isn't going to kill me mm-hmm. um and then uh yeah and just body management stuff's really important so very good yeah. and you my weekly layout is mondays we do a strength run so that's uh hill reps yesterday we basically were doing about three times through eight an eight minute pretty long st- fairly steep hill um which probably I don't where know. would you do that uh, i use major aitken which is i don't know i'd probably, probably say it's probably average nine percent there's certainly some pitches there of uh, between 10 to 15 percent so go eight minutes up come down to the bottom and then do two strides which is just a little short you know 15 to 20 second burst twice through and then boom straight back up the hill again so not not so a, the strides are what just get your heart rate up a little bit uh just getting the leg speed up more okay. than anything so two strides and then back into to hill rep it was a bit of a struggle yesterday i tell you that for nothing uh, i had my first bunch ride last week so tuesday morning bunch rides about how far is it it's about 70 ish yeah. case and uh that was a bit of a baptism of fire but i held my own there was about 70 people there i reckon last week which really? is a big bunch wow. ride because it's still um school holidays so you had yeah. a few youngsters there and then it's uh, you had still a lot of people who haven't finished work i'll tell a bit more about that later so that's tuesday it's just doing that bunch ride wednesday I swim 4k in the morning and then do uh, some core in the afternoon Thursdays I do bike hill reps at this stage um, and I'll be using uh, Bevan's Hill actually 
which is about a five to six minute hill climb and I'll just do laps of that so I'll probably yeah. do about six six it's laps of that hill reps there, isn't it? oh it's great yeah. you go up and then you've got different exit roads you can go down and then you've got two or three minutes on the flat and then boom you're up again perfect circuit Friday swim 3k plus if I can do a short run and then Saturday I do a indoor trainer session with lots of just short sharp um, efforts in there and then Sunday is my endurance ride which last week we used yeah, last week was four hours in the hills and then we sort of three to five hours so mainly just doing one session a day so it's not crazy volume and it's all just going to be building towards epic camp and sort of get more specific as we work our way through but i'll be initially working on a strength phase then going Are through a big day off? uh not really no i mean we said days off yeah yeah i mean so swim swim day for me is not that's a big the day, day off yeah. day for your legs so yeah, it's not a, not a huge amount of training, but that's uh, all I all, uh, all I goal? choose to fit in. Epic camp. Epic camp. And will not. you look at doing a race post epic camp? No. Okay. So that's it. New segment: Bevan and John's current training schedule. Okay. It will so come up. Try we're time. Going to do a weekly update. No, we're not going to do a weekly update because that, that's my my basic week is just going to be keep repeated. I mean, yeah. the sessions Distances will change a bit. So from time from to time, we'll do a little update on what we're up to because people do ask. There we go. Okay. Um, sponsor. We've got a good email through from old Nick Rose. Nick knows Rose. Knows Rose. Rosie. Yeah. The Admiral. The Admiral. God, how many names you got? Oh, mate, never ends. And he's just saying, uh, he said to us, is there any chance you can use this link uh, for X Endurance Sponsorship Review? He wrote a review about them, and we're like, yeah, buddy, you could do our job for us. <laughs> <laughs> so, John, tell me about it. So Nick's opinion is the taste is great. The berry flavouring gives a very easy to drink solution with a clean fuel five, isn't it? Fuel five, uh, clean taste even under intense exercise with no artificial sweeteners used. There is no lingering aftertaste either. So the big thing with this, they're trying to use, uh, well, they are using five forms of fuel in one in one drink. Um, the four carbohydrates uh, work together to provide a sustained release over time with sucrose and dextrose, the immediate release components handing over to maltodextrin and organic sweet potato for long-term fueling. The sustained release is what I found especially beneficial for long-distance endurance events. Um, and I'll just echo what um, Nick said here. I've just used, I've only used it a few times on some long sessions where I've actually been going out in a fasted state. So I've been going out for, say, a three or four hour bike ride and not having any fuel or just getting up and getting on the bike and going and then been kicking this in sort of the second half of the ride and that's been able to to get me through um those bike sessions so check it out especially the flavor it's just a pretty easy taste and uh check it out x endurance fuel five and at the end of this article he's got after using x endurance products for a few years i've become to expect great service quick delivery without excessive packaging no nonsense products with clean ingredients that work for me fuel five tastes great delivers the carbs i need and aids recovery i'm looking forward to testing on longer rides during the spring and summer so thanks for sending it through nick and if you haven't already checked out their products guys go to xendurance.com and uh it's pretty much all in the world now as well and also as mm. we were saying last week it's on amazon so mm. if you're in america Maybe they'll ship it elsewhere, but check it out on Amazon.com. Okay, Jumbo. Questions and answers. So we've got something. What's this uh, about? Oh, it's a pub, public notice. Um, Bob Sahib. Public so, notice. Public notice. Hi-yi, hi-yi. Um, <laughs> Bob Sebar was just popped me a note the other day, and he's actually thinking about getting his metabolic efficiency training specialised certification down under in New Zealand and Australia. So Wait, so you can become an 
it's certified, certified as being able to do sort of metabolic efficiency and stuff. So if you're interested in that um, and possibly getting a course done, um, check out metabolicefficiency.org and get in touch with Bob and uh, tell him that you're, you're keen to do it. So one other thing um, I'm going to have in, in the coming weeks, I just got an email back yesterday from Professor Grant Schofield and oh, he's done the was, book. Was, you know what's really funny? I was about to email him mm. for uh, my podcast. Um, he's got the book What the Fat and... So unfortunately, I've screwed your interview there because we're going to have him on the show in the next couple of weeks. Oh, I might talking ask him about on another show. Yeah, high, but sort of uh, low carb, high fat um, nutrition, and I'm going to really try to hone in a bit more on the specifics around it because I think we've all heard enough now. Going, what is low fat, um, low low carb, high fat? But actually, how do we integrate that into our training and racing? Um, to, to make it work for you so we're going to get him on the show in the next few weeks and he's got a book called what the fat which uh he's going to tell us all about so that was um public notices oh, public notices yep. are finished okay then our second email which is no longer a part of public notices hi john i hear you about uh i hear you about the w a w a sorry program and i always thought that it could have been done much better than what it actually is and I never really gave it a second look but in 2015 I've been blown away by the importance of the AWA ranking has taken in the mind of my fellow competitors many times I've heard many times I've heard guys asking about their ranking and which race they are planning to do because they need to get more points for gold silver or bronze and the more the season is going on the more some are getting frantic about chasing to save their so-called status just looking at Facebook there are here in Asia after the publication of the ranking and it was AWA Letter Festival. Because they send you a little letter and lots of people scan that letter and put it on their Facebook oh, okay. page. Well, as much as it would have been easier to say each winner of each age group get a Kona slot based on their ranking taken off their best three Ironman races, there is nothing to gain from it. But besides, as you said, crappy early registration to races on the other side of the world and bragging rights. Maybe I'm just getting old and an old bastard and didn't get the point. So it was just interesting because I think we were sort of not belittling the AW, the, the, the all-world athlete program, but sort of saying, do people really care? And I think a lot of people do actually care. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, well, uh, The social status of it. Mm. Yeah. And people are actually going and doing more races to improve their ranking. And I suppose like, the problem for, for someone like yourself, John, is, well, there's so many problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where, where do we start? <laughs> where do we start? <laughs> no, but it's more like maybe you're dismissive of it because you always expect to get gold. Mm. You know, but if you're a guy who's maybe done bronze last year and you get silver next year, mm. you know, there's a, one of those markers of success. So, yeah, so it's mm. good to hear the other side. Um, James Thomas sent through an email. Hey, guys, love the podcast. Backing up to date of I Am Talking Legends. Do you want me to summarize this one? Well, no, you've got to get this with it here. Okay. Now working my way through fitness behavior. Truly awesome oh. work, Bevan. Thank you. <laughs> So James got an um, interesting, interesting scenario here. He began exercise uh, nine years ago at the age forty-two. Um, and oh man, he, that, just imagine that! Imagine never exercising, yeah, and suddenly to start like what an empowering thing that's going to be, eh? Yeah, and like because we just know it. You just feel better about oh, life. You, just, you see, you see people who do it, and it just trends. You'd see a lot more than I do. Oh yeah, it's yeah, great. So when he started, his 10K was one hour and 10 minutes. So he's, he's not uh, not breaking any world records. But his heart rate was 175 so plus. So he's hard. So yeah, that little heart is doing some good work. A year later, he did a sprint try, one hour 24 and 180 plus heart rate. And then did a bunch of other events. And so, so the, the, the story of here is when he first started, really, really high heart rate. Over the years, um, 
he has gone when he first started he went and did as hard everything as hard as he possibly could and then he sort of moved on to doing long slow steady race pace effort based around sort of Ironman stuff eight years later he finds himself with this problem his Ironman um, my race pace Ironman and half Ironman is almost the same uh, and his heart rate sits about 120 to 130 beats per minute uh, he's 540 for his half and and 12 hours for, for an Ironman and recently did a 10k and so his, his 10k times improved massively he's gone from 70 minutes to 48 20 but yet his heart rate is around about 130 as opposed to um, 175 he went out and did a Conconi max heart rate test and when you do that if you do it on the track you kind of increase your pace every I think it's every 200 meters and if you're on the treadmill I'm not sure if it's 200 meters or, or a set time but you just get faster and faster and faster and he only got up to 156 so again 156 heart rate when he was able to do 175 for a 10k which is a lot longer than a Conconi test uh, and he thought that was actually high on the bike his heart rate gets uh, Gets to if the heart rate gets above 133, he feels like he's going to puke or pass out or fall over, and his all-day pace is only 10 beats below his holy shit pace. So he's got a very small heart rate range, sort of 120 to 130. 120 being wow. can keep going all day. One anything above yeah. 130, it's like holy shit, this is hard. Mm. Should I focus my training on something like the Maffetone, which is very much heart rate based, or look to improve my um, uh, ability to work at a high levels, high heart rate, increased neuromuscular performance, lactate threshold, etc. So, really interesting situation where he's, he's just gone out and done very much one pace training for a very long time. He also thinks he's muscularly weak and he's neglected strength training, and all his Ironman training uh, doesn't seem to have really helped his his strength work. So, my suggestions would be that you really need to. To, to get faster at your Ironman I think you need to really look at getting faster over the short distance stop typing it's annoying me Bevan I need to get this email out so <laughs> I have to um, you, you need to go out there and actually try to get fast again and have a little bit of a Wait plan a around how that. many times on the show have you been doing emails when I've been doing other stuff once what in my life back it up back up the truck team oh, you you know, I thought you had to finish that email I really do but you got angry at me there I, I can name hundreds of bloody times it's a weekly occurrence it's the first time we've ever done it you whinged at me bloody hell <laughs> pop kettle anyway back to James uh, you, you need to try to get fast and I know you live in Vancouver or well, I know you, you at least used to so you're probably in the middle of winter so now is the perfect time to do that so my suggestion would be is you work up a bit of a periodized plan to, to build towards say a 5k running race and actually go right I'm just going to hone in on my, my running for the time being and actually have a periodized plan where you work on getting stronger and faster probably not worrying quite so much about the heart rate side of things working a bit more off your pace initially go through a bit of a strength phase because it sounds like you're muscularly quite quite weak and by doing a strength phase yes that means going to gym but also doing some strength based running in terms of doing uh, some some hill reps and then building that plan towards where you're actually going to do some proper intervals um, and by proper intervals you know really going out there and spanking some some 400s if you go and do that the next week you'll probably end up injured but if you follow a really nice sort of 12 to 16 week plan when you're coming towards the end of that really going out there and doing some really high quality spew rate stuff and it's really important to understand that 
I think you'll need to make a shift both both physically um, and also mentally because doing intervals and hard training is it's it's a big mental shift and it takes some some time to get your head around. So, building a plan towards to working towards a 5k, get out there and do some short races like do multiple um, 5k races. You know, if, if, if you're in the off season there, you might have some cross country stuff and learning what it's like to really suffer for sort of you know 15 to to 45 minutes as opposed to going and doing sprint or Olympic sprint or Olympic distance triathlons, which you know an hour to, to three hours long. That's not speed training. That's uh, still very much endurance stuff. Uh, I'd say get into a group environment. Um, you can always push yourself a lot harder in a group environment and that's you know, mentally going to help you make that shift as well and yeah obviously you need to be a little bit careful around doing speed work too soon um, and then in terms of structuring your week a bit like what Bevan's doing you know um, it's not necessarily all about quantity but have two quality sessions per week so you might do an interval session on Tuesday and a Saturday and just making sure that not every run you go out and do, do is, is spanking it just be selective with where, you, where you're going to go hard and then the final part of the puzzle I think for you is to actually do some some strength work and, and make yourself muscularly a little bit stronger and making sure that that's uh, you're adding some plyometrics in there as, as well so you know you're, you're jumping and you're bounding and things like that. Mm-hmm. I think if you do that sort of combination then uh, you'll make a nice mental and physical shift and just get away from doing that long slow stuff and uh, I think you see your times improve for the short stuff and long stuff mm. and a perfect time for you guys who are listening in the northern, northern hemisphere at the moment it's just the perfect time you're in the middle of winter your racing's not sort of six months six months away you could use January February March and maybe April gives you sort of it's about three and a half months to really make some inroads either into your biking or your running so choose one or the other and uh, if you're doing it on the say the biking front you might set yourself some some targets around doing 20 minute FTPs and there's loads of stuff you know train a road and things like that where you can actually go on there and really beat yourself up and, and uh, make a mental shift. Great, great advice, John. Great, yeah, you I were loving it. You were hundred percent focused it. on you that whole time. Good. That is important, but it must be frustrating. It is. The other thing is, um, heart rate is just massively variable. So, yeah. the, James, your heart rate is going to be totally different to someone someone else. So, I've probably used this example before. You know, Phil, my main training partner, we're similar sort of abilities, especially on the bike. We're riding along next to each other, going same speed. His heart rate will be 15 to 20 beats different to mine. So higher or lower? Higher. Oh, yeah, fit this way. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it's funny you say that because, like, I look at my runners and you see, you'll get one person who just seriously sounds like they're having a heart attack, mm. but they'll just sit on it. They can sit on it for hours. You know what I mean? They mm. just, you know, they can just push it. What seems like, an, if we think of the intensity scale, they can sit on a high intensity scale. We used to get someone else who, you know, just has a lower heart rate or less breathing rate. Mm. Um, and yeah, and, and they just keep, you know, similar. Everybody's wired differently as well. Yeah. You've got to remember that in terms of your ability to, to really push yourself. And that's why doing these short efforts and races will help to improve your mental conditioning a bit. Some people can just bury themselves you see them they've got that ugly face on mm. and they can just go and go and go and that's whether it's some childhood experience yeah, they've had um, <laughs> yeah or their dad just went out and whipped them and told them to keep yeah. running I don't know but some people have that ability but it's a trained effect as well you can always be improving your own stuff and getting yourself in an un- in- uncomfortable situations sometimes in terms of group training going to the track and actually doing some 400s where you are pretty much going to vomit at the end is uh, is really really valuable and then when it goes back to racing 
and you're you know say you're doing a, a 10k or you may be doing a, a sprint distance triathlon the intensity that you've got to maintain mentally feels a hell of a lot easier mm. okay john that's uh, pretty much questions and answers for this week uh patrons are on no patrons this week so uh if you want to become a patron go to www.imtalk.me uh it's all pretty obvious once you get to the site become a patron you can go into draw and get in quick guys because we're going to be doing mm. it pretty soon can we so, do it on whatever the training weekend is sort of april april 8th 9th something like that it is 10th yep yep so there you go um jumbo sponsors Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Lactic buffer. And uh, John Newsom, what you got? Got a little camp coming up this week. Oh, have you? Taking athletes away. Four Is day, the, four the, day the, camp. The three day. Four, four, yeah, we go up to Mount Lyford and then go up to Hamnet. It's going to be fantastic. Oh, that's different than the one, isn't it? We, we change it up every year, Bevan. Oh, dear. Last year we went to the West Coast, moved all around the place. And who we got on the camp? Uh, about 15, 16 of us. Oh, nice. So that's okay. Enough. Is it your Ironman New Zealand camp? The, either Ironman or, or, or challenge. challenge, so sort of preparation camp. First day we do a half Ironman simulation, second day is the big uh, big bike ride, third day is big run, fourth day another sort of 150k on the bikes. So it's four, four big days at the office. Nice. I haven't told you about my Christmas presents, Bevan. Oh, you up. inspired one of them. That, did that I? I? No, not that I got, that I received. I inspired it. Mm. How did I? Does Glenda listen to the show? No, no, I told her something about it uh, when I went home. And I got a uh, a nose and ear trimmer. Oh, <laughs> ear trimmer! And you like it, don't you? I do. You do like it, don't yeah. you? So yeah. if, if you, I'm 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 basically a modern day Neanderthal in terms of how I'm much hair I've got. I'm surprised with the beard being so fashionable over the last couple of years. You haven't pulled off the beard. No, because you could do it in a day. Itch, itchy. Don't like. Don't like. Have you facial ever had hair. a beard? I've had quite a bit of facial hair, but I wouldn't classify it as a beard. And I've, had, I've had a little one of those little circle goatees. God, I look stupid. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> How long did you have? I mean, oh, it was university you, days. You need to bring a photo. Put a, oh. Have you got a digital photo of it? I'll be able to scan something. I look like Come it. on. Idiot. That's got to go on the 500 show. <laughs> yeah. I'll see if did I Did you think you were something. cool at the time? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's the key with fashion. Yeah. As long as you think you're cool. So I got that. So that was, that was interesting. And you're enjoying it, are you? Yes. Yeah. yeah, makes life easier, doesn't it? It does, and it doesn't hurt. Plymouth's thinking, I'm not, that's going to hurt. No, it didn't. It's a bit crunchy. Yeah. yeah. So that was my main main thing. Camp, that. Get into the buskers? No, not this year. Have been in the past, but not this year. So, no. Have you had the Oh, bus? the bunch ride. I was talking about the bunch ride. I said 70 people last week, I reckon. I was, I was looking. Here's what happened on this bunch ride okay, last week, Bevan. So, we'll keep it a little bit tri-specific. It's a massive bunch We're going along. podcast. And... Um, and you, you you ride two abreast, and it's you you going along, and you you're thinking, I was sort of estimating right. I'm quite a long way down the bunch here. I'm, I wonder if I'll get a turn at the front, and that was kind of slowly rotating around. And I'm thinking I'm going to get to the front, just right, before. just before the hill. I'm going to have to do a little pull up the hill, and then people are just going to start attacking all around me because it just it's, it's quite a long flat stretch, and then you get the hills, and it's just full on nightmare uh, attacking each other. But then some dude, we're going along, and I'm approaching the front. I'm thinking. Yeah, I'm going to get that there sometime soon. Some guy on Aerobars, this is a cyclist group. If you Ooh. went on the group with Aerobars, you're like, you're an idiot. Some dude on a f- proper full-on tri-bike came. He's in a zero position. No, he came around the outside of the whole group so and just got to the front and just drilled it. And yeah. I'm talking 45 to 50k an hour wow. for a long period. Who so was all, he? I don't know. So the bunch is starting to splinter. All these young guys are bloody riding up the middle of the road, jumping on him. 
and so it's, it's two lines to so try to visualize your two lines so then they didn't want to let this bloody tri geek or multi-sporter away yeah. and so this dude they're just sitting on his wheel on the left and i'm in the right hand line that line and people are just going up and, and trying to hold this guy's wheel and so they'd go up and they'd ride there for a few seconds and then just explode off into the middle oh, of the well, road so pretty good oh he it was the pace was was on and uh and so one by one people are going up and they're just exploding and of course as it turned out turned onto the 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 hill road and boom i've got to try to sit on the front there riding next to this guy and i'm probably close to maximum effort and that lasted about 20 seconds (laughs) (laughs) and then i was into the middle of the road as well and so what happened uh and then yeah, then the thing started just splintering. But I thought I was pretty pleased. I thought I held my own. Lots of tri geeks out there. Dylan McNeese was out there and Mike Phillips and uh, yeah, all the local tri dudes. And it was uh, it was good to see. Back on it. Well, maybe back on it today in one hour. It's actually maybe. clearing up. I hope so. So that's about my gossip, Evan. What's what's happening in your world? Um, went to the so we're buskers. So buskers festival is a big festival they have in Christchurch. Do they have them in other cities in New Zealand? Not not organised like it is here. No, it's pretty awesome actually. Uh, unfortunately, this year don't want to talk about the weather, but the weather's been really crappy. For really crappy. Yeah, unfortunately. But we went to the night. We went to the burlesque. Have you ever done I mean, the we did that last year. I didn't realise it was going to be quite so sexual. <laughs> yeah. Did they have the, the man and the woman couple? Oh, they had. They said the MC was a, was a, tra- uh, a, dra- a drag queen. Uh, very funny. Very good. And then they had. This black lady came on and she was pretty sexy John. yeah <laughs> no no i was much like you last year i was thinking this might be a bit raunchy but it was proper full-on nudity <laughs> from the get-go i was like whoa up. <laughs> and i and i always when i go to a show john i want to be the guy who supports the, the yeah. performance you know like i hate going to crowds that make the performer have to like i always think as a crowd you want to support the performer because they'll do a better job mm-hmm. you know like because we also went to the stand-up comedians and they had four comedians and two of them were brilliant mm. and then one was good and then one was not so good mm. but you, you still give them love because mm. if they feel comfortable they're going to do a better job you mm. know so you kind of the joke isn't gold you still give them a better laugh mm. so I'm, I'm going to back the performer John so this, is, this lady's taking myself and I'm whistling and clapping <laughs> <laughs> and then I thought no, what do I look like right now <laughs> I tried to control myself. And the tassels. Yeah, yeah, a lot of tassels. <laughs> and then they had this guy who was kind of an awkward character. Mm. He was very funny. Uh, and then another girl came out. <laughs> and then they had this black dude, and he was doing the sexual guy dance. And I think a lot of girls in there were getting a little bit excited. Um, so it was very entertaining. And then there's one thing where we got to go to, there was kind of a comedian guy who was kind of tap dancing slash kind of rodeo dancer kind of guy mm. but he got this guy off out of the crowd and made him a horse and mm. put this oh it was, yeah, it was pretty funny it was a good mm. night out good night out but i was shocked and christchurch we're pretty conservative in christchurch well, last year and the, 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 this couple were sort of the mcs and you know those sort of tube things people do they pull over themselves and they kind of get changed and then oh yeah, yeah. yeah. so they had one of them and so right at the start of the show he did that puts it up and you go I wonder what this is going to happen comes down fully naked guy fully naked oh, like, oh naked naked fully naked was like, oh, oh. <laughs> oh okay it sets a tone <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't see any diddle this year yeah, yeah no <laughs> it was diddle so, oh goodness anyway <laughs> it's a funny one because eh? when it's a chick oh this is a great show <laughs> when it's a guy oh this is disgusting <laughs> yeah yeah oh good times anyway so that's my, my mind has been corrupted basically. so remember tell us all about yeah, my first try Bullet uh, points, we like it. Next year it's going to be the 500th show. Next week it's going to be the 500th show. Yep. Good times. 
Good times. Okay, let's wrap it up, John. You're going on your bike. I'm Russ. I'm Mendo. Train hard. Train smart. Kick, Kick hard. hard.